Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. We've never done this before, but we are actually re-recording the intro right now because we recorded the intro like 20 minutes ago and we talked about, oh, Gen Con website is crazy and, you know, it was down and you can get tickets. It'll be awesome. And then I stopped the recording and we went over to the computer and we're doing a couple things. I was like, oh, I'm going to check the ticket sales. If you want to play one of the games with us, uh, we had 80 tickets available. It's like two hours after the site has gone live. Uh, we have 20 left. So uh, if you want to get into one of those Monster of the Week games with us, uh, grab them now. Uh, and I think we're about half sold on the live show. So grab those as well. So come join us, play some games, hunt some monsters. We're also going to do that true dungeon. That is not a thing we've got slots open for, unfortunately, but I am very excited about it. It's true. We're going to do basically a big old LARP. What are you going to be? Uh, I think I signed up for the Ranger. Yeah. Because one, to my understanding, you get to do like a two handed attack thing as a Ranger. And two, that's the closest class I have an outfit to already. So oh, that's nice. fair. <laughs> I'm going to be a warrior. And I think the only thing I have to wear is I'm just going to dress as Lord Beric and just flaming sword. And Lord Beric Dondarrion from Game of Thrones? Uh, no, Lord <laughs> Beric. He's my neighbor. Oh. He, uh, <laughs> he runs a mechanic shop. Kicks oh. ass, though. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's really bold of his parents to name him Lord. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> After the singer, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> that's his actual title. He bought some uh, land in an oil rig off of Scotland. Nice. Speaking of um, what class are you going to be, I won't say too much about it yet because we haven't got the details of it worked out but there's a chance uh, that we might be doing a special recording of the crit show uh, with a very special guest uh, which would allow the four of us to all play and i think what might be fun is to do a poll and let the listeners decide which playbook we each play oh i did Mm -hmm. that what playbook do they want to see us individually play Um, So if that comes to fruition, I think we will do a poll uh, for each of us so everybody can vote on which playbook they want to see us play. Uh, And then lastly, just a reminder that we have our one year anniversary giveaway coming up. Uh, If we get to a hundred ratings on iTunes, we will add two additional winners. We're actually super close. I think we're only like five or six away uh, from adding two more winners. So if you do listen on iTunes, uh, get on there and give us a rating and a review. Uh, And we will add two more winners to our drawing coming up next week. Um, I think other than that, we got to get down to business. You guys got a lot going on this episode. So let's just let the recap roll. Have you been able to find out any more detail on your sister? I don't know anything more, but I know where you could find out. Okay, where? He's got this mobile base that he uses. It's a submarine. Where is it now? The last I saw it, it was just off of... um, Well, where he met you guys at the North Pole. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm on board with the stay here and get the satellites running first plan. Time is always a major factor here, and we just make our hard decision and live with very realistically not being able to help Ori. 
or very realistically leaving them exposed. If we leave here, we're leaving four people for dead. That's the assumption we've got to make, is that if we leave here now, we're leaving them to die. I think I could probably fix his problem and our problem at the same time. Put on like an inhibitor on their neck or something like that. You get the collar on him and you turn it on and he starts to convulse and scream and you see that he shifts back and forth very quickly between the man and the monster. And there is a strange, grotesque flash of every combination of the two combined that you can see. And as this happens, the whole thing turns hazy and gray and white and blue. And when it's all done, Ori is standing in front of you in his completely human-looking form made only out of mist. So here we are in the vehicle bay inside of this makeshift construction area for the IPT as they try to get their satellites back into space. TJ has just slapped this essentially mutant power restraining device onto Ori, and he shifted and screamed, and now he is there in his human form, but he is just made of mist. Like the collar is still on him and floating with him and everything? Correct. Uh, is this what it was supposed to do? No. <laughs> Uh, Ori, how do you feel? I don't. Ooh. That's, I mean, that's arguably good. Nothing can hurt, right? (laughs) (laughs) Would you rather Uh, ride in a train, dance in the rain, or feel no pain? (laughs) I'm going to reach out, like, offering a hand to shake. Uh, I don't think he reaches out to take it. He's kind of shocked. Uh, what can you still do? Go through the checklist. Can you still do anything else? Uh... And he takes a focused step and then another. I think that's about it. Okay. I'm going to just kind of not the handshake, go for like a push to the chest and see what happens. Uh, Your hand passes through him. Did you feel that? Any sensation at all? No, I wanted to, but I didn't. Okay. This isn't ideal, but I don't think this is the worst way this could have gone wrong. So you're kind of invulnerable now. You can still move around. Uh, You're not going to succumb to your bat form anymore. That's good. Once we get things sorted out and we can take the collar off you, you'll go back to normal. Will I? Theoretically. My head feels I have never been able to drink enough before to feel drunk, but I feel mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, shit. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, like Jake said, that this could be worse. It could be better, but you're not a rage monster. So this is, we'll call it a win for the moment and we'll kind of keep an eye on you here. And he uh is looking at the Jeep and he puts his hand through it, and he starts to continue to push his way through it, and you hear the clink of metal as his collar hits the Jeep. And you see that it's starting to come off like it's staying there. Oh, hold on. Oh, what? I think that theoretically you could phase through something and leave the collar behind. Oh. So that's good. If if you absolutely need out of it at some point, you can get out of it. But for the moment, if you can stomach it, you know, we went through this trouble to make sure that you don't lose your head again. So if you can stomach it, try not to get rid of it. Keep it on so that we can keep you in your right mind. Yeah, okay. And his head is half sticking out of the Jeep like he's a character in The Frighteners. Like he's just, you just <laughs> oh, see like God. lips and nose. And <sighs> and so he slides back out and the, the collar is in place still. Okay, well, let's get back to work here for the moment. We got to get everything back online here and um, then start discussing how we're going to get up to the North Pole when that's done. I'm still waiting to hear back from Margaret on any ideas there. And um, God, TJ, you should probably get some rest, actually. You've been going pretty hard at this and um, 
that way, first thing, you know, after you get some of that done, we can get this place back online, yeah? Absolutely. I think I definitely deserve a quick dog nap. Good call. Uh, all right. Let's go introduce Ori to the squad so that we can kind of break this to them softly. <laughs> Nobody panics. That's a good call. Ori, come on. Uh, all right. I'm going to head over to the barracks. Oh, Ori follows you. He's focusing very hard on his feet. Um, when I when I get to the door of the barracks, I'm going to kind of signal for him to wait outside here for a second, uh, and then I'll open it and go in and see if everybody's kind of awake and preparing. Yeah, everybody is up and moving around, and uh, they're actually getting ready to head out for breakfast. Hey, guys, uh, real quick, before you move on with your daily duties, I want to talk about something real quick. Uh, so the thing that was attacking us, right, I think we mentioned briefly that it's was someone we know who wasn't in their right mind. So we got it sorted out. We've got his powers essentially locked down. He is in his right mind and he is on our side again. I'm going to bring him in here just so none of you guys freak out when you see him. This is not normally what he looks like. There was a side effect of the device, but Ori, do you want to come on in here? You okay? And he does. He comes in through the front door and everybody just kind of looks at him and there's a moment of silence. This is Ori. This is, uh, well, essentially one of our associates, an inside man in Nash's agency. Um, he is a vampire. He is, by all accounts, still a pretty good dude despite that. Uh, I've confirmed he only kills bad guys, so that's good. He is currently stuck in his kind of vapor form uh, until we can figure out how to free him from the adverse effects of his vampirism and take the collar off. But for now, he is, yeah, just kind of a spooky mist man, but other than that, well, and kind of drunk, it seems like. But other than that, he's good. <laughs> so you're fine to interact with him. You're fine to talk to him. If at some point that you notice that the collar is off, uh, worry about it and let us know because then he might be back in beast mode. And really, I mean, he, he has saved our lives several times already. And by proxy, IPT lives. So just I want that to be clear. He, he really is on our side. Can confirm. Yeah, he's literally the one who sent me the text to warn of the attack that did turn out to be him, but not by his own choosing. And so with that, everybody kind of heads over to breakfast and they continue on with their work. So how are you guys going to spend these couple of days? Um, doing whatever they need us to do. I think whatever errands they've got, whatever pieces of assistance we can provide. Honestly, can, is there anything Ori could theoretically do? With the ability to kind of phase through things now, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he can. It doesn't seem like he can touch anything. Yeah. So I guess he can't like phase apart into something. Right. Yeah. I mean, it really seems like all of his effort is going into not phasing through the ground. Um. Well, then, yeah, I guess just have Ori kind of nearby so we can keep an eye on him at all times. And other than that, do do errands. Okay. Yeah, I think I'd be just hyper alert on watch um, as much as possible, staying up high, just keeping an eye out on anything, even to the point of, hey, I'm taking a piss break. Somebody keep an eye out, like just, yeah, trying to be on hyper alert, knowing that there are others that might know that this is here besides just Ori. And what about you, TJ? I'm thinking I want to help with the satellite, get that fixed up so that way we can get it in, into space and get IPT back on its feet. So Jake, you were trying to essentially do like heavy lifting you're not actually trying to help them repair or build anything um i mean whatever they'd ask of me but i assume they're not going to ask me to do skilled labor that i don't know how to do yeah so 
yeah, pro- I imagine that they're just going to be asking me, hey, hold this, move that, grab this, and you know, a child can do that. All right, so TJ, roll sharp, and Tass, roll investigate a mystery as you are on your hyper-aware scouring around uh, the base. I received an eight on sharp. Okay. Six. As the two of you help with the station to get it back into space so that it can help launch the rest of the satellites, Tash, you hear a buzzing on the perimeter, and you walk over to it to see what it is, and it is a cracked phone on the ground that is vibrating, and it's got some messages on it. Oh, I'm going to pick it up and see what I can see? And you find five text messages, and the first four are all, you've missed your check-in, respond, 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 and they're all a couple hours apart. Uh, And then the last message says, sending backup. Oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. Just phone up, I'm running back towards the interior. Oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. Everybody. What? Uh, Ori, I assume this is your phone. They're sending backup. Oh, I guess I didn't have my phone to check in. Who would they be sending? Do you have any idea? I don't know. It just depends if they're sending someone to, like, help me or just to see what's going on. Is there any way to salvage this? To call them off? Yeah, I mean, if you can give me the phone so I can make a call. Uh, Yeah, I mean, if you need me to dial for you and hold it to your face, I can do that. Well, I mean, it's they're going to see me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I guess we'll have to take this collar off for a sec, won't we? Oh, boy. What time is it? Uh, about 4 p.m. Okay. Yeah. I think it's worth the risk. Yeah, I'll I'll just like hold it kind of off camera, ready that, you know, if something bad starts to happen to try and snap it back on him. Okay, game time, y'all. Let's do this. So, Jake, you reach in and uh, you unclasp it, and he goes through that similar fluctuation again of bat to human and creaking sounds and fur and no fur, and then he is in his human form, and he bends over and he vomits on the floor. Oh, God. No, that's way rougher the other direction. Okay. Okay. Time to rally, boys. (laughs) (laughs) Rally. And he holds his hand out for the phone. And I'll hand it to him. He starts to open it, and then he stops. Oh, oh, wait. And he trots out and starts walking towards the forest. Okay. Yeah, I'll kind of go out to track his movement, but, you know, stay out of line sight. I am still going to go with him. I'm going to stay off camera, but I need to be prepared to collar him. And so he goes a little distance out and gets himself into the trees and makes the call. So you guys, I assume, are on the other side of, you know, if he's holding the screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Probably like off to the side a little bit. Just in case. Yeah, like just in case he accidentally flips the camera around, you know. Hey, hey, it's me. I'm all thumbs. (laughs) Uh, And he makes the call and you hear a voice on the other side. Where have you been? I just, it's the signal out here is real spotty and uh, it's it's a lot more uh, heavily defense area than i thought and so i just it's taken some time and every time you try to check in with me it seems like i'm in a bad spot you know someone might hear it well that's how protocol goes so you don't need backup uh, no no i think i think i'm okay well very well we'll recall them but just hurry up we don't know how long he's going to be gone we want you back here to make sure that well so that we at least have a couple of the lieutenants here in case anything goes bad we're too close to the end for it to be messed up now and you know he's going to be furious if you're gone too long yeah no of course i'll, I'll be back as soon as i can I don't think it'll take long to to deal with this. Goodbye. And the phone hangs up. Oh, boy. Holy shit, man. Well done. That was awesome. Uh, Yeah. How often are you supposed to check in? Well, I mean, hopefully I just bought myself some time, but it's supposed to be like every 12 hours. All right. Throw that bitch on airplane mode until it's time for you to check in again. Oh, okay. Just so that we don't accidentally dial out that they can't, you know, ping a signal off it or anything like that. Just keep it dead until 
it's time to use it. Yeah, and he does. Before you put that back on, could I get like a sandwich or something? Yeah. I think we can do an amount of daytimes where we can take the collar off of him and, you know, stay with him. But nighttime is mostly when he needs the collar on. Yeah. So you guys have got a untethered Ori right now. Yeah. And again, before we enter a spot where the rest of the team is, I'll go, I know I said if the collar's off, it's bad. But again, he just totally saved our ass by bluffing on camera. So um, he only goes beast mode at night. So uh, we're going to give him, I mean, at least a few hours during the daytime to eat and be corporeal again. You do not have to worry. Um, after the last conversation, I told the crew that the Calvin Ball rule is in effect with whenever, <laughs> whenever you guys are around. That they're going to come in and they're going to say, this is the rules. And then the next time, that's not the rule. So as long as you guys aren't panicking and shooting, they're going to keep working. That's solid. That's, <laughs> that's very solid. Yeah. Good rule of thumb. I think as we're just going to get him some food and stuff and let him stretch out and relax, I want to ask about who the hell that was on the phone. Uh, that was Michelle. She's kind of like the information hub. She kind of keeps everybody patched in together. And Okay. So not, not somebody I'm going to have to worry about as a threat. I mean, anybody that Gregory's got around him is going to be able to kill people. Sure. So, I mean, cadre of vampires or equivalent. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. What kind of sandwich you want? Oh, man, what do they got? It's limited. <laughs> <laughs> Roast actually, beef and ham. It's actually the it. most disappointing thing. You guys get him over there, and it's just all MREs. Oh. It's like, no. We were out camping once and found an MRE, and it wasn't expired, and Chris and Travis ate it. I still thought it was gross because it was a mud-covered MRE out in the middle of the woods. Mm. That is gross. I mean, you do it in video games all the time. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, but you also open ancient tombs for the first time in a thousand years and find bullets inside. In video games, so. <laughs> That's true. All right. It's not really anything specific to do at this point. Just kind of do our parts. Yeah. Make sure that Ori's, you know, contained before nightfall and free him back up sometime during the day and just kind of get into that cycle for the next few days. Yeah. I don't imagine that you guys are going to forget to put it back on him or uh, anything like that. And it's it's not going to be good real if we just sit here and play through six days of TJ rolling dice once and the two of you hanging out with Ori. It's a whole other podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so TJ, give me a couple more rolls and I'll tell you when to stop. Okay. You just want me to shout out the numbers? Yep. Uh, that would be an eight. Okay. A seven. Okay. An 11. Five. Mm, okay. And another five. Uh, try on this one. Try higher than that. Oh, okay. Thanks. Just, just on this one. Just on this one? Okay. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Uh, nine again. <laughs> so mechanically speaking, what is happening here is that TJ is trying to help them build. And it's not all stuff that he is familiar with. And it's not necessarily his weird science. Um, but it's a lot of the skill set that he used to have as the science guy that is now gone. And so there are days where he keeps up to speed. And there are days where he makes a couple advancements that jump them ahead. There's also a couple of days where things catch on fire and he sets them back a good deal of time. It does take the full week that she had expected. In the course of that week, another helicopter does arrive. They drop off some supplies. Um, they bring in a couple of things that they have requested that need replaced. Uh, Margaret does get back to you and says that, you know, they can obviously get you a copter and that diving gear is not hard to come by, nor is sonar. The hard part would be a boat up there. Um, and then it might take a matter of waiting until Everett gets back with Jingles from Ireland uh, to have him trolley a boat there in the back of Mother Hen. Uh, and on the seventh day, you do get a call, actually, that Everett and Jingles are on their way back 
um, and that she has given them a location to stop and pick up a boat. Um, and so they will be here the next day uh, with all of the equipment in the back. Uh, so you guys will have one night where uh, essentially the rocket is going to take off and you guys will be here by yourselves. Um, is there anything you guys want to do during the prep for the launch? I'm just excited to see a rocket go off. It's pretty exciting, actually. I used to watch those back in the day when I uh, lived on the Air Force Base. It was really fun. Um, I, I don't. I can't think of anything. I mean, I think I would just be asking for extra help from anybody that doesn't have anything super important to do in this process to just really keep an extra eye out now. This is that last second thing. Like if it all goes to hell now, then what yeah. was it all for? So I think I'm a little more paranoid than normal. I'm probably going through like checklists with the crew uh, to make sure that all the systems are a go. It is the middle of the day when this launch is getting ready to happen. What are you guys doing with Ori? Um, for some reason, I feel like we should put the collar on him for the launch. Like just in case a big rocket takeoff kind of scares the monster out of him or something, you know, like just in case it, it elicits some bestial reaction or like that there's some Manchurian candidate programming in his brain that like, don't let the rocket take off is going to like take over. I feel like we should collar him up for this. And then if something comes in to attack us and he is not freaked out, theoretically, we could yank the collar back off and have our backup. Yeah, I'm down. With the final preparations completed, uh, the crew gather into the rocket, which contains all the components for the new space station, as well as all the replacement satellites. And uh, once everything is set, uh, Sroka comes over and thanks you for your help and then walks down the runway and climbs into the rocket. And the camera pans out wide and our vision is filled with a flash of bright light and rolling smoke as the rocket comes bursting out from the middle of this patch of jungle. And our eye follows it up into the sky until it's too small to perceive. And over the headset, you all hear that everything is functioning correctly. And over the course of the next few hours, you hear them go through the process of getting the space station out and assembled, followed pretty quickly by the release of a few strategic satellites that will help IPT retake the network that they've lost. And at around 8 p.m., all your phones start to buzz and chime as the IPT system comes back online and a flood of data washes over the network. And Margaret calls and she is very excited. Um, she has relief in her voice that you've not heard in a while. Um, and she thanks everybody and asks you to be careful uh, and that Jingles and Everett should be there uh, in the morning. Is there anything you guys want to do over the course of that evening and that night? Seems like a perfect place for GoldenEye 007. Yeah, I mean, we don't have anything. You've got guns. You can play GoldenEye. <laughs> <laughs> We've all got armor. It's fine. Yeah. We'll just use the low caliber shit. Oh, I need to heal. You know, I think that everyone is probably healed over the course of the last week that you guys were all working. I don't think that you were all kind of trucking along with damage. I imagine you healed yourself over that week. Oh, okay. Uh, we need to hammer out our plan for what we're going to do at the submarine. Yeah, I know nothing about <laughs> submarines or like scuba diving and stuff like that relatively. So what do we have? We've got the boat coming mm -hmm. with sonar. We've got our gear. Yes. So what in that, what can we use? Like, I don't think this is going to be just a matter of pinging the boat and swimming down and trying to get through hatches. So like, what, what is our angle here? Like try to draw up the submarine? Are we going to try to create something to sneak into the submarine? Well, I think that we'll have to, whatever we create, we'll have to attach to the submarine, create some kind of um, 
hermetic seal so then that way we can get inside without you know drowning to death yeah we need something that i mean yeah will essentially bite down over the entrance and not allow all the water in but allow us to pass through and back right. out because if there's somebody on the boat like if his sister is on the boat or not the boat the submarine we need to be able to get her back out that's where i want to start here with this so i like this i like this idea of like a leech thing that's going to get us onto this that's going to attach are we going in through the front door? I mean, in theory, we still have all that research that TJ did all the way back. Are we just going to try to go in through the front door and fight our way through to something? Or we want to do this a little more discreetly? Do we want to try to like go over the blueprints and stuff? Say, okay, maybe she is being held here. We have to assume there are going to be changes to that. He's done something with it to make it livable this long and, oh, and strong. Point. So... You know, probably magic, probably advanced tech, or at least more advanced tech, etc. So do we try to say, okay, here's our best guess of where somebody might be held and literally try to make a hole there, put the seal over it, make a hole there, try to sneak in, grab her if she's there and get out. And then if we have an opportunity, do some damage. I mean, I would have to guess that they're going to know we're coming, that even on a regular submarine, let alone a magical submarine, they have a way of knowing that a little craft is coming at it. Yeah. And wherever we dock, if we docked right over her jail cell, I assume they're going to go, okay, you get out of there and we're going to put you somewhere else and we're going to wait for them to breach the hole right here. You know, like I don't think... I don't think we're going to sneak on without them knowing. And even if we find the right place, I think they will have made it not the right place by the time we get there. So are you saying that the stealth approach will probably be out then? I, yeah, I feel like we're not going to successfully stealth. Not to the ship. Maybe once we're on the ship, we might be able to like lose them and sneak around. They might not know exactly where we are, but I don't think we're going to get to it without them knowing. Unless as part of your conversion, you can make that thing a ghost. Like if you can make it, you know, a little mini sub that is also somehow undetectable by radar or whatever, maybe, but they've still got magic. You know, they've been kind of scrying on us. They've known where we are and what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the two things we either bank on that TJ. If you think you can make something stealth, we go that way and try to get in from like underneath or we're just ready to get in fast and get in through the front door. Uh, so I think my vote either way whether we want to try it fast or we want to try it stealthy is still to try not to go in through the front door because of all the things I think that they'll assume that that's what a sane person would do. Right. I'd have to check with all the like the information that I gathered on the Argonaut. Whenever I looked that up, was there like any blueprints or anything of it? Oh, yeah. I mean, you spent a good chunk of time doing right. the research on it. Yeah. So I'd have to go over that again just to be sure. Okay. If we've got to hit it somewhere anyway, we can hit it where we think the brig might be and maybe we're lucky. Maybe we get lucky. Exactly. Maybe we get lucky, but we're prepared to fight. I think priority one is if she's there, awesome. We get her out, make sure that she is spirited away and safe. And if we have the opportunity, do, do some more damage. We leave some grenades behind. We leave something that's going to wreck this thing. You know, otherwise, hey, if we got her out, great. Uh, if she's not there at all, then, you know, I, I feel like or he's right, there will be something there that will lead us in the right direction. And isn't Lana's soul crystal on that oh, submarine? shit. You're absolutely right. That's where she was. That's where she mentioned she was. I wonder if there are more there. You know how he was trying to collect? Yeah. And we've never figured out the answer to what happens if we destroy one, have we? No. No, just that Reeves disappeared. 
from the one before we were able to make a hard decision on what to do with it. I mean, we're going to have to make a pit stop anyway to kind of construct this little sub and whatnot. Uh, I feel like we should make a stop at Strom's because she had the crystals. She had souls. She knows how this works more than us, at least. Uh, we can ask her if she knows what happens if we destroy one. Oh, yeah. And you can make sure she answers, too. Yeah. And then if it comes to pass that destroying one sets the soul free, then once we get what we need off that sub, we just torch that son of a bitch and destroy yeah. whatever crystals are on there and release souls. If not, then we don't. We don't destroy it on the way out. Yeah. Oof. Okay. Oof. I think I'm physically kind of shaken here at a thought. Um, you know, it, as awful as it is to say, too, I think there's a point where we have to realistically look at taking an opportunity anyway. Because if this is literally the difference between everything ending everywhere ever and losing those people trapped in the crystals, I hate to say I, I think we need to make that call. No. I mean, that's been like a huge portion of the journey so far. What the f what are you talking about? No, we don't trade lives. You're right. Um, yeah. So we'll do it. And I think um, I think that makes it tougher to make any decision to destroy this thing unless we've looked in every room in the place. I don't think we're going to get that chance. Yeah, I think the only way we destroy it is if we have had the good fortune to be able to clear it. Yeah. You know, destroying it is not a priority. But if we have just gotten lucky enough and gotten the opportunity and we are confident that destroying it isn't going to damn anybody, then we might as well. Okay, I like this. Learn about the crystal, make our leech, find an entry, get in, see what we see, priority one extract, bonus XP for destruction. I dig it. Okay. <laughs> so give me your flight path. You are in Brazil. Where are you headed first? I think to IPT or the lab, and we can drop TJ off to start working on the thing. And then realistically, I'm the only one who needs to go to Chicago. Tass could come with or stay with TJ, but up there, get an answer, come back, pick up the finished thing, and then go to the North Pole and maybe buy some explosives on the way back at IPT, depending on what Strom has said. Yeah, I dig it. That sounds like a plan. How many of those necklaces were there that Strom got a hold of? The good luck charms? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there were seven. Seven. That's what sticks out in my head. I don't know. Maybe see if she wants to work something out there, too. We've got us three, Everett, Ori, Jingles, and Strom make seven. I can ask. I mean, this is some save the world stuff. Maybe she'd be open to it. Yeah, I'll, I'll ask for sure. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. And who's to say that there isn't any cool artifacts on that boat? True. We might just be able to collect something and bring it back to her. Yeah. Yeah, good call. So the next morning, as you wake up, there is a strong buffet of wind. And it's odd because you don't hear anything and you don't see anything. But as the wind dies down, Mother Hen seems to materialize on the runway. And the hatch lowers and Everett and Jingles walk out. So I hear you boys need a ride. Yeah, please. We have been stuck here for a while. Who's your friend? Oh, uh, this is Ori. Ori is a vampire, but he's cool. He's got a collar on that keeps him from uh, accidentally transforming into beast mode. Ori, this is Everett and Jingles. Oh, hey guys, how's it going? Man, that's a pretty dope look you got with all the smoking shit. <laughs> Jingles is a literal Christmas elf from the North Pole. How's it going, man? And Everett is uh, Old Guard IPT. Yeah. So who's headed where? So TJ needs to go to his lair to modify the boat. And before we buy 
gear for the mission, I need to go talk to Strom and see what she knows in Chicago. So dumping TJ and taking me to Chicago. Tass, where do you want to go with him or with me? I feel like I would stay with TJ. I think that's what I'm going to do because he's going to be focused on a task. So for whatever reason, if he would get into trouble, I you know could be there to protect him while he works on that. Uh, and then once I have gotten my answer, back to Naptown and we'll do our final prep and take off. What about Ori? What's he going to do? Who's he going with? Uh, he can ride along to Chicago. Okay. Okay. So let's go first then with Tass and TJ. Uh, you guys get to TJ's subterranean lair Woo-hoo. and Rev is there working and Anastasia is sitting on the couch. Uh, hi. How's it going? Well, it's going. I didn't even know you knew where this was, but I'm not surprised that you'd be able to find it. Rev turns from his work and looks at you. Who is this? She really just kind of came in and plopped down on the couch and And gave you. Has just been sitting here for the last twelve-ish hours. Not like talking or anything, just sitting there. She looks at me sometimes (laughs) for a long time, and it's uncomfortable. She's like that. She has that effect. No, she's cool. She technically shot Jake, but sort of three times. But it's we're cool. Sort of three times. Yeah. Is that a story for another time? It is. Okay. It is. Anastasia, how's it going? Good. Just uh, went back to check on you and was very happy to find that you weren't there. <laughs> well, message received. We've got some stuff in the works, so if it's cool, TJ's going to kind of get to work here um, adjusting some stuff, and we're going to duck out again here in a few hours. Do you have the box for me? Yeah, it's uh, right in here, and I take her over to uh, the workshop, and uh, it's just sitting on the counter, ready for her. And we discussed it. It's basically just a little clicker with a couple of lights on it, uh, and she pockets it. Well, good luck. Thanks. What are you up to? Just wandering, doing damage where I can. Okay. Um. I mean, I, I guess I won't... F- <laughs> I don't know how to deal with you. I don't know if I want to formally ask for help or more just offer, you know, if you want to go, I think we're about to get some serious damage done on Nash. Um, So if that's something you're interested in, you know, we'd be happy to have you. What? We know where his lair is, and we know he's not there. We think there might be someone there that we can save. So that's kind of what we're going to do. That's the priority one. And if we can do anything else on top of that, you know, bonus points. The Argonaut. You think you know where the Argonaut is? Yeah. She smiles and sits back down on the couch. And, um, you know, the reason I bring it up with you specifically is... In theory, that's where Lana is trapped in the crystal. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, hell, I feel like I should even ask you if you know how this crystal stuff works. Um, you know, one of the first things that popped into our heads is, hey, if we just know where this is, if we can just sink the ship and destroy the crystals, does that set her free? Or is that a bad thing? That's actually where Jake is going right now is to do a little more research on that. I have no idea. Yeah. If I had to guess, I'd, I don't see a lot of souls floating around. Yeah. Not in a body or not in a crystal, so I assume it's probably a bad thing. That's fair. That's kind of the idea we had too, but um Jake's on that for the moment. So uh TJ, let's let's see this, man. Absolutely. Uh yeah, so you go back through your uh research from the Argonaut and uh, of course you did find the blueprints for it. Uh and so I'm going to give you guys I'm very excited about this. I, those are things that I drew like 10 months ago when the Argonaut first came up. <laughs> um and so you have the Uh, On the top is the top, and on the bottom is the bottom. (laughs) Oh, really? I wanted to make it as user-friendly as possible. (laughs) And so that is essentially what you see on the blueprints. It gives you the walls. It gives you the doors. Just glancing at it, you can tell that those are stairs in the back. It probably would have the engine room labeled, which is the bottom right section. Uh, And then you can also see the door in from the side, the hatch. Uh, And then on the top, that black circle is 
the hatch out the top. Cool. Yeah. Okay. And like you guys had said, you don't know what may or may not have been changed. Uh, but just looking at it, you can kind of guess that on the bottom uh, floor, there's some crew quarters. Um, I think that just even kind of doing cursory research online, you could find out that the two corridors on the bottom, uh, at the top and the bottom, are essentially where they fire and store torpedoes. Um, and that one of the rooms up top must be if they have the capability to launch like missiles or anything out the top. You have a sense of that those rooms towards the back on the top are probably officers' quarters, the same with the ones next to them. Uh, that below deck, the big square room in the middle is probably where the other crewmates slept at. Uh, the area in front of that is probably where they stored the explosives. Uh, the room off the back is the engine room. But again, there is kind of a sense of you're not exactly certain what upgrades have been made, what changes have been made, and what some of those empty rooms are. Right, because these are just the original plans from yeah. World War II. Right? So what kind of place are you wanting to go into? Like, when you guys connect and try to go in, what's your goal? What are you wanting to try to find? What kind of room are you wanting to go into? Well, I mean, absolute best case scenario is that we open this up and there's Ori's sister and we just drag her into our thing, disconnect and bounce, you know, but realistically, that's almost surely not going to be the case. Um, you know, worst case, we find nothing. Middle case, we find information about where she is really. So here's my proposition for you. Yeah. I'll give you... As you look at these blueprints, I trust your gut roll, but I'm going to make it behind the screen so that you guys don't go forward the rest of the episode knowing whether mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. good, bad, or middle. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Do you want me to pick the dice or do you want to pick them? Uh, I'm going to pick. I've already picked for the day. I've got my initial gut feeling of which are my good dice. So okay. here we go. And what, is you, what do you add to this before I roll it? Weird. Okay. And what is your weird? Two. All right. So you think that your best option is somewhere in the top towards the back. That's really all that you can get the sense of. Okay. Okay. So TJ looking at this thing, I'm thinking we need to stay high towards the back. Okay. Uh, well, it seems like the best place to go in then would either be the con or that side door. Both are pretty close to the, to the back. The con being a little bit more closer right so we're you want to use the door now instead of cutting in through the side uh yeah okay so tj what exactly are you building you've got this boat and you're going to try to turn it into like a submersible sure um i've seen the hunt for red october i know what i'm doing on this one um <laughs> so that's where i'm getting all the information for my science on this basically you need like a a docking clamp type thing uh that can and in that movie, they actually use what is known as a universal one. So that way it'll dock with like uh, Russian subs, with American subs, with uh, Australian subs. Are there Australian subs? I don't know. Anyway, so ham and uh, cheese subs, ham and cheese uh, subs. Yeah. Turkey subs. Yeah. So all that docking happening. Um, and uh, but also at the same time, if we're going to do it to where we need to go from the side of a ship instead of just through the hatch. Uh, we'll probably need some kind of magnetic thing to hold us against the ship and seal from water as well. All right. So you're basically going to turn this boat into something that can go underwater and have essentially like a lamprey mouth mm -hmm. that can attach to the side of the submarine. To, Correct. In theory, at least right now, go in through their side door. Right. Okay. So roll weird science. Will do. Oh, yeah. Let's see. That's a 10. All right, so what is your requirement? Uh, it requires a large amount of power. Okay. Where are you going to get that power from? 
I should think about these things before I actually say them. Um, then it wouldn't be TJ style. <laughs> that's right. It wouldn't be my style. Uh, I've decided that we're going to put the sea gobbler inside this new boat and it's going to run the uh the power for this thing basically we're putting the sea gobbler on a, like a conveyor belt or like a larger belt or whatever to transfer more power to this larger boat oh so like the engine is running and it's got a belt on it and the sea gobbler is on top of that belt driving to make the whole thing go faster correct yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. going we're gonna to get some emails about this one. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get some tweets about this. Uh, yeah. Mostly from like your science uh, yes. brother-in-law, right? Yeah. <laughs> or anyone with a basic understanding of engines, probably. <laughs> just but you know what? Here, for us at the Crit Show, this is how you overclock an engine. <laughs> Does it help if the big uh, plaster feathers are like sticking out the back as a propeller? <laughs> it does help, actually. Oh, yes. good. Okay. It's got two propellers, like the normal one and then the yeah. feather one. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go to Jake. Jake, you get to Chicago with Everett and Jingles. Uh, is there anything you're talking about with them on the way there? Or? Not in particular. I'd ask him how it went in Ireland. Is everything good? Are they okay? Yeah, it basically was just kind of taking care of her, uh, her estate and her accounts and everything and just getting the, the place nice and secured. Um, they're going to kind of keep it as a just a place to go to relax, to remember her, to just kind of get away. And so they do. They get you there and you come up to the building and the doorman is there. Do we have to do this still? It seems unnecessary at this point. Really, she pays me to ask one question. Should be. And he opens the door. <laughs> uh, and the elevator is there and you get in the elevator and the elevator door opens at the top and she is standing there. Uh, good news. I need information. I don't know if you have it. Oh, well, that is good news. Uh, so you want to do, you just want to have a conversation or I'll pull out the little token. You want to do our, our fun thing? Well, it depends. Do you have anything to offer me in exchange for information? I, I mean, I can tell you what we're about to do. I can tell you our plot. That might be of interest to you. We're going to throw a kink in some evil proceedings in theory might open up some business for you or something. All right. Well, why don't you tell me what you're doing and I'll decide how much of an answer that gets you. Okay. You know, we found the headquarters of this bad guy we've been talking to you about who's going to end the world, uh, and we're going to go, at the very least, knock it over and get some things he needs out of it and maybe some information, and at the best, we're going to trash it, and he's going to be set back significantly. Hmm. All right, and what do you need to know? Uh, I need to know what happens to a soul when you destroy the gem that it's in. It's destroyed. Okay. What does it take to set one free then? Because we think he's got those on board and, you know, if we just trash the sub, we don't want to damn those souls. Uh, define set it free. Uh, like let it move on to the afterlife? Oh, really, it's a matter of finding a party who can move them to the afterlife. Mm. Are you such a party? No, no. Okay. Do you know somebody? I mean, we know a guy who can collect souls, but do you know somebody who, like, for a price would not keep them, would set them loose? Not off the top of my head. They are invaluable yes okay well then you know that modifies the information i gave you because we can't just blast it and put it on the bottom of the ocean now mm. unless by a miracle we manage to collect safely any soul gems that he's got and get him out of there hey have you moved those uh those lucky pendants yet no what do you want for them this is going to be a big thing that we're about to do and i think they might come in very handy hmm but you do know they require seven people to work. Yeah, I mean, we know seven people. There's three of us. There's a couple more that are going with us just in transit. You could keep one. You could throw one on if you wanted to. No, that's not how it works. It's got to be seven people who are connected in some way, and I don't really know any of the rest of your circle. Oh, so all seven of them need to share a bond? Like... Some kind of a bond. 
an experience uh, together, just something that creates a human bond for a moment. Okay. I mean, I think I could manage that. Would it work on a demon? <laughs> you know, I don't know. All right, that's a maybe. I'm like making notes in my phone. <laughs> Damien, question mark? Yeah, I mean, I think I would still be interested in acquiring them. I think we can get enough people to make it work. All right. Well, I mean, you've already told me you don't really have anything offhand that you know I want. How about this? While you're on Grigori's little hideaway, snatch whatever you can, because I'm sure he's got loads of things in there. And I get first pick of two of the things that you find. And if you find nothing, I think that each of you owe me a favor. Uh, can I call them first? I want to make sure they're okay with that deal. Well, I could transfer them all to you if you prefer. It just seemed like a heavy weight. It, it is a heavy weight. Can, can I just call them and ask sure. them if it's okay? I will dial Tass up. Hey, um, so I'm, I'm negotiating for the lucky pendants, uh, and her terms are uh, either we snatch whatever we can off the submarine and she gets the first two picks of what we get, or each of us owes her a discreet favor. Uh, I can swing that as long as the favors don't compromise. Let me word this very clearly, that none of the three of our favors individually will not compromise your morals. Oh, I'll repeat that back to her. He says he's okay with it as long as none of, I've just got it, like none of our three wishes individually would compromise my Jake Hurley's morals. Is that correct? Yeah. That's correct. Well, I no offense, but from what I've seen of your history, that shouldn't be a problem. Hey, that was a dig. I mean, it happened at my house. I saw it all. It was quite delicious. Okay. I, I think we've got a deal then. Yes. I'll be right back. What'd she say? Are you there? Yeah, we've got a deal. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. I'll be back soon. Hey, Tass, what's Jake talking about? Bye. Something about Nick. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most connected this table has ever been. <laughs> Is Jake closing that imaginary phone and everybody just cut dead? Brilliant. Um, so she comes back upstairs and she has a small wooden box and she opens it up and inside are the seven medallions with the uh, little chains on them to wear them. All right. Yeah, I'll take it. So as I had mentioned before, there is a set of instructions that come with these. Uh, there is a banshee, of course, that may try to come for you if it becomes aware of where these are. And you can defeat that with salt uh, just in any shape or form. It's salt circle, salt pellets, whatever. It can't deal with it. Overly salted fries. <laughs> I've almost always got those in my possession. <laughs> um, the seven people wearing them have to be within a proximity of one another for them to work for the first seven days. After seven days, they'll work no matter the distance between you. That proximity is the closest I can estimate three or four miles. And now mechanically, here's how these work. So everybody has one of these. It currently has one full charge. It can hold two charges, so it has one empty charge. The way that you fill this charge is that on a roll of 10 or more, you can sacrifice that full success to a mixed success, and it takes four of those to charge one pip. So four full successes to a mixed success fills the bar. Or if you have the advanced move, you can sacrifice from a advanced success down to a mixed success and that will take two times for each charge it is a point of luck you may spend without spending on our actual luck without points. spending your actual luck points but your luck ramification will still happen 
So yeah, you might want to make a little spot on your character sheet to keep track of that. And for your recording purposes, these are called Willem's Fortune. All right. I'm going to head out then. Okay. Uh, so it is uh, about an hour later and Jake comes down into TJ's subterranean lair. Okay. So she said that if you destroy a soul crystal, the soul in it is destroyed. Oof. The only way to get it loose and let it pass on is to recover the crystal and get it to someone who uh, basically can manipulate souls. Right. So like, like Damien. Yeah. Best bet for sure. Okay. Well, we'll cross that when we get to it. Um, as far as the luck token things work, they they have to be worn by seven people who have a bond in some capacity, uh, and they have to be within a certain distance of each other for the first seven days Ooh, okay. to work. Beyond that seven days, then everybody could break off. But I don't think we're going to wait seven days. No, no. So we need to come up with who else is going to fit the description and will go with us. I think they can stay in the helicopter. I don't think they need to be that close. Right. But people who will go to the North Pole with us and wear these to get the luck bonus. Us three. Anastasia, do you want in on this strike team? Oh, yeah. Okay. Four. Ori, you're going to be there anyway in case we extract your sister. Yeah. Right. So five. Rev, do you want to come? I can, yeah. Is there anything I can do? Uh, I honestly, I imagine that once the helicopter lands, you could just kind of protect, put up some wards or something to to guard your guys's area, keep everybody safe on the on the land. I assume you don't want to come in the submarine with us and do some like SEAL Team Six shit. I mean, you're more than welcome to if you want to, but I think I would leave that up to you guys. Okay, if Everett wants to wear one, that's seven. But I don't know that this kind of motley crew here has the connection. Uh, I mean, she said that it doesn't have to be like deep. And spiritual, we just have to have shared an experience or something, which if we haven't shared an experience that counts yet, we can do something. I mean, do we have to get really super bondy with this? Could it just be like, hey, let's go to B-dubs and have a drink and we'll share a laugh or two? Maybe. It might be as easy as we all share a meal and share some stories and stuff. Yeah, I mean, any old story you listen to, it seems like connections between people are almost always started by breaking bread. All right, well, let's do that. Let's all hang here and make a meal and share our stories and get to know each other some and connect. So I think the montage that we get here is these seven plus jingles. We have Jake, Tass, TJ, Ori, Anastasia, Rev, and Everett. And there are pizza boxes stacked up and beers and sodas opened all over the place. And people are stretched out on chairs and couches. Some are standing and people are telling stories. Maybe their first kiss or the first time that they had to kill somebody or the first time that they realized that the supernatural was real. It is such a large gamut of what everyone here thinks gets it so that everyone else in the room gets a sense of them. And we get that moment of the shared story with everybody. And we've all been in that situation where someone tells a story, reminds you of something, and it makes you laugh that much harder. It makes you feel that much more for them because you realize there's a shared experience. And one by one, everybody goes and they share something. Some people share two, three things. And by the time a couple hours have passed, you notice that the box over in the corner of the room is starting to glow. All right. I'm going to go over there and open it and check out the pendants. Yeah, and you can see that on each of the pendants, having spoken those names aloud when you guys were talking, very small in almost translucent writing is the name of each person in this room. Hey, it worked. We are such good friends that we have lucky friendship necklaces now. Everybody come get yours. 
And I think during this whole time, too, just in case, I've been um, lining some, like, paper clips together and gotten one of the old, like, tin yogurt lids, you know? And uh, when I see that these names are on there, I'm going to write jingles on it (laughs) and put that around his head. Oh, man, that's a... Man, that's real sweet. You you the shit. Thanks, jingles. (laughs) He puts it on. All right, so... We've got this group collected. TJ has finished his submersible. What are you calling it? The sub gobbler? (laughs) (laughs) The undersea gobbler? The undersea gobbler sounds really good, Does but sub gobbler sounds Does good too though? because like it's I like, like sub gobbler. <laughs> now, now we can finally get that subway sponsorship <laughs> coming in, yeah. coming in at the door. I think undersea gobbler sounds good. Okay, and so you guys uh, get it onto the lift and you take it up to the street, and uh, Everett brings Mother Hen down the street and lowers down, and you guys load it up in this alley. Everybody piles on, and you take off. So once you guys get there, what is the plan? I mean, obviously we hook onto the side here, we get everything open, and I I think it's going to be the three of us and Anastasia going in because, yeah, I just, I can't imagine a world where she's not going to want to be part of the strike team. So let's build this around the idea of her helping, right? Yeah. Um, Like, Ori needs to be there, but I, I don't want him like front line. No, I think, I mean, we'll have to remove his collar. For this, because he's got to be able to, you know, protect himself or fight or whatever. Um, but I think we should have Ori stay in the sub until we either need him for something or we have found his sister and are ready to get her out. That's yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, yeah, beyond that, we know that in theory that what we're looking for is going to be near the back. So I think we move together. Hopefully we find her. And if we think those, you know, like the sort of captain's quarters are back there anyway, hopefully that's where all of Nash's good stuff is. Um, So it would be real nice if all the crystals were there, too, if they're here at all. And, um, you know, we can get everything in one fell swoop. If not, either get the information or the sister, get her back to Ori so that he can just bounce. And then we do what we have to do after that and get out via the gobbler. Okay, I dig it. Everybody got steaks and mallets and vampire killing accoutrement? We'll make sure to bring it along with. I mean, I've got mine. I think we all kept our stuff from that first vampire encounter in Hawaii. Yeah, and then just uh, the other usual little things. Make sure we have mics for everybody and and let's do the thing. All right, so who's leading this? Who's the strike captain? Me. Roll luck. That we all just exchanged an uncertain look around the table. Uh, 11. So as you pass over in the helicopter, you see the location where you had battled with Nash's underlings. You see the campfire that he stepped out of. And about half a mile away from there, you do find a spot where you can get the undersea gobbler lowered into the water. And uh, Everett tells you that he is essentially going to park right next to that. So it takes you about four or five minutes, but you're able to lower the undersea gobbler down into the water get it detached from Mother Hen, and then Mother Hen lands next to it. Rev gets out and starts putting up additional wards around the copter as the five of you get into the undersea gobbler, and it submerges. Uh, The people inside of the submarine are Jake, Tass, Tiege, Ori, and Anastasia, leaving Rev and Everett and Jingles back at the copter. You guys go underwater and you turn on the sonar equipment, but you still feel uneasy because it's very dark down here. More than the dark, it's quiet. Really, the only sound is the ping of the sonar, but after a few minutes of heading in the direction of the battle you had with the vampire minions, you hear a louder ping, and then a blip appears on the sonar, and you head in that direction, and as the blip gets closer, you start to see the sickly red glow illuminating the water in front of you, and then in your run lights, 
The Argonaut comes into view, red lights pulsing on its hull as it floats silently in the dark water. Uh, as you approach it, the first thing that you notice is that the door that you're looking for on the side is about a fourth of the way closer to the front than it's indicated on the blueprints that you have. Well, shit. And I indicate that to the guys. It is what it is. Um, we'll have to deal with it. Okay. All right. Uh, so I'm going to start parking the gobbler right next to it and getting us sealed onto it. All right. TJ, roll Act Under Pressure. And I believe with your weird science, you get a plus one to operate this machine. Ah, cool. Uh, so my cool is minus one. And then with that plus one you're giving me, um, it's a six. Oh, fuck. God, I hate to use this so suddenly. Uh, gonna use Willem's fortune straight off the bat. And uh, remind me, what is your luck ramification? Uh, the curse becomes worse or new consequences arise. So with your point of luck, as you start to pull up, you get this strange sense that there is something protecting the submarine. And so you fall short of docking directly with it. And as you park and look out, you can very clearly see in the water shimmering a protective field around the submarine. And you're about half an inch away from hitting it. Uh, there's a, um, a force field of some sort. Okay, I'll do my thing then. All right, and there is no roll for this, right? Correct, and it is not like a lay on hands thing either. It's just counteract or purge pre-existing magic from a given area, stop something from using magic, or disrupt another's use magic attempt. Okay, so you're going to use this to try to get rid of this protective field around the submarine. Yep. So Jake goes up to the window and uh, puts a little cut on his thumb and starts drawing on the glass. And once this symbol is complete, you see energy pulse out from it through the water hit the shield protecting the submarine, grow a little bit, and there's a very subtle, like, noise as this barrier breaks and water moves just a slight amount. All right, we're good. Dock us. All right, and I'm going to finish the docking process. All right, you do. You get this completely docked and locked in place, and here you are. I'm going to pressurize it so then that way there's no water within the seal and then I'm going to open our end of the door. Yeah, you open your end of the door and you walk across towards the door of the submarine and there is a keypad underneath some plastic. Awesome. I think I know what that is. Is it a three digit keypad? Uh, no, all digits are there. Oh, <laughs> Just thought maybe they'd put the, like, the code. Only the ones that you use the, there. the buttons there, <laughs> yeah. Um, what a horrible design for Yeah, I know, right? I'm going to type in 13 first. Mm -hmm. um, is there, like, an enter button or anything, too? There's not. Okay, uh, 13, then 19, mm -hmm. and then 9, but a zero nine. You hear a hiss, and the door's handle starts to spin. Uh, all right, guys, let's get ready. Yeah, I'm going to kind of step in the front, shield up, and wooden stake in my other hand, ready to go. I'm right behind him with the spear out. Okay. And I'm right behind him with my electro blaster charging and my goggles ready to be flipped on in case it's really dark in there. And Anastasia steps up next to you guys and she pulls out a very large hunting knife. I'll reach out and open the door. All right, you pull this door open and it is almost completely dark inside. But as you open the door, you hear ding, 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 ding as lights kick on. Well, this isn't as subtle as I'd hoped. Um, Okay. I'll give him kind of like the follow me gesture and I'll step into the sub and, you know, however far I need to go to see like the hallways left and right so I can clear our corners. You step into the sub and everybody steps in behind you and there is a corridor that goes straight ahead and you can see it bends to the right further down and then to the left it's pretty open and you can see that there are two doors 
on the wall almost directly in front of you. And then further down, there is a door on the left. Um, do I see people, creatures, movement, any any dangers in here? Roll read a bad situation. Eight. You get a hold one. Are there any dangers we haven't noticed? As you hear the lights kicking on throughout the submarine, the door almost directly in front of you and to the left starts to slide open. And as it does, blood starts pouring out of this door. It almost looks like the scene in The Shining. And it stops after it flows out, and it starts to take the form of a very large humanoid shape. And it just stands there and starts to move towards you one solid step at a time. Uh, there's a blood T-1000 right here. Oh, God. Um, I don't think a wooden stake will hurt it. So, I mean, it's the thing in my hand, so I'm going to give it a shot. So I'm going to step to this thing and try and plunge a stake into the chestal area of it. All right, roll kick some ass. Uh, five. So Jake sees this come out and steps in front of everybody to try to protect them from it. And he lunges forward with his stake in hand and jams it into the chest. And as he does that, the creature reaches out with its right hand and you see that it just palms his face. And Jake, you feel blood starting to fill your nose and your mouth and pour down into your lungs. The Crit Show is a Crit Show Studios production, edited and produced by Brandon Wentz with music by Jake Purley. You can find more information about us at thecritshowpodcast.com. To keep up to date with upcoming live shows, contests, and other special events, follow us at The Crit Show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For even more weekly content, join us at patreon.com slash thecritshow. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Dum Dums and Dice would like to welcome you into the Mythos Mysteries, a live play pulp Cthulhu podcast where improvisers and comedians venture into dangers beyond their wildest imagining. Our story begins with two erstwhile companions on a long and winding road. They think they are fleeing danger, but greater horror awaits them when they arrive. For they are not just running away from mortal danger, but towards the Mythos Mysteries. Whoever you are, we're not scared of you. You hear a voice from inside that says, Please, help. I'm inside the dresser, help. Now I need you to listen to my very explicit instructions here, Adrian. Okay. Please ready your punch and fists. Yeah, they're always ready. Now I'm gonna... (laughs) I'm gonna open the door. Okay. And we're gonna look inside the dresser. What if we don't? Could we not? (laughs) I need you to be brave for me. Okay. You were always very brave. I, okay, okay. So we're going to open the door and you're going to look in the dresser. And yes. then what? And then if I tell you to, yep. we're going to punch it. The dresser? <laughs> <laughs> you said I had to be very you said explicit. If there is someone in the dresser. I'm punching. We're going to punch it. What if it's a ghost? Well, then we're going to have ourselves a fun time. So, like a party? <laughs> like a birthday party. Okay, so we'll do some dancing and there will be a cake. Hopefully the yes. ghost brought it. Yes. Okay, I can do this. Okay.
I'm going to open the door now. <laughs> okay. I'm going to open the door. You open the door and the dresser is back upright. All the drawers are back inside. But now it is next to the window and the bed is in a different corner. Of course it is. And the blood is pooling on the floor instead of the ceiling. It's dripping up. The Mythos Mysteries. Episodes are available now.